It's such an honor to be here with you today. This is family. I still consider Bethesda home, and I look out and I still see many familiar faces, even though it's been 26 years. I can't believe that. It's been 26 years since we left Bethesda Church to move to Hawaii. So thank you. I'm honored and privileged. When I was first asked to speak at the high school commencement today, I had to ask myself, gee, it's been so long since I've even been to a high school commencement that I'm not even sure what a commencement speaker is supposed to do. So if any of you have taken the Strength Finders test, my top three are intellection, learner, and input, and I love to do research, so immediately I go online and I start Googling best commencement speeches. <laughs> and the first one that comes up is Steve Jobs speaking at Stanford University. So I listen to him. The second one that came up was Natalie Portman speaking at Harvard University. Did you know she was a Harvard graduate? And after listening, I realized that, oh, this is an opportunity to reflect back on my life and to look at the milestones and the lessons that I've learned in life and somehow be able to inspire a young person from my own life experiences. I learned listening to Steve Jobs. He talked and made a statement that I want to share with you to start off this morning. He said, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. And I found that to be so true. I can now look back at my life and I can see where God was at work in my life. Although in the moment, in the season, in the time, I didn't have that awareness. But now I can see in my life how all the dots have connected. And I know that for my future, that all the dots are being connected. And then I looked at the Bible. And I thought, how wonderful that God in his wisdom has given us the life stories of so many heroes of the faith, and we now can look back and see how the dots of their lives are connected. I want to talk to you today about one of those heroes of faith, Moses. In Numbers chapter 12, verse 7 and 8, the word says this, Moses is entrusted with all my house. With him, I speak face to face, clearly, not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. And then in Exodus 34.10, we're told, And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses whom the Lord knew face to face. 
And when I think of Moses, I think about his greatest achievement. His greatest achievement in life was that he learned to meet with God face to face. Oh, that that would be each one of our goals, our dream of life, that we would meet with the one who sits on the throne, the one that John in Revelation cannot even describe in his Shekinah glory. But Moses met with him face to face. So I want to go back and I want to look at the life of Moses. Because in his gospel, John in chapter 17, verse 3, he tells us, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Knowing him, knowing him, face to face with the one true God. I remember, and some of you may remember, my son, it must have been 23 years ago, we were on our way to my niece's christening. And halfway across the ocean from Hawaii to the mainland, that's what you are, the mainland to us that live on the islands, we hit a wind shear and our plane just started free falling. I have my seatbelt on, I only got whiplash. My youngest son too flew to the front of the plane and hit the movie screen that then was only at the very front of the plane. My son Matthew, hit the aisle ceiling, and my husband hit the overhead compartment and dented it. One of the most frightening experiences of my life. And I had to ask myself, why was I so afraid? Was I afraid of dying because we thought we were crashing? What was I so afraid of? And as I pondered that, I realized that I had not yet come to the point in my life where his presence was life itself. His presence is life. His presence, to know him, is life itself. So let's look at Moses' journey in this great revelation and discovery that he had in his life. I want to start with Exodus chapter 2, verses 11, 12, and 15. One day, after Moses had grown up, he saw an Egyptian beating a fellow Hebrew, one of his kinsfolk. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Moses fled from Pharaoh, and he settled in the land of Midian and sat down by a well. Moses, I think most of you know his story. Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, expounds on the life of Moses. And in verse 22 of Acts 7, he says, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. 
So here we have a man who has been raised to be a leader, and yet think about his life. He was born in a very volatile time. Children were being murdered, and he was rescued by a princess, the daughter of Pharaoh. He was returned to his home where he was nurtured for a season as a Hebrew. Then he returned to his adoptive family, and he was raised as an Egyptian. But he saw the plight of his people. Which world did he belong in? Was he an Egyptian? Was he a Hebrew? What was his identity? And we see that he had core values in his life, just like each one of us do. From birth, within us, God imparts to us values that are put there purposely by him to fulfill the calling and the destiny that he has upon our lives. And here we see that Moses had this incredible value of justice and that he had a perception that he desired to be the deliverer of his people. And yet his identity has been dictated to him by his culture. He's an Egyptian, wise in the Egyptian ways, great in speech and in deed. And with this Egyptian identity, he tries to fulfill this value of justice that he has in his life. You know, all of us are influenced by culture. Culture imposes our identity upon us without even asking our permission. One of my favorite authors, Ravi Zacharias, in one of his books, Why Jesus, he has a chapter in there, and it's called Movie Making or Soul Making. We are so influenced by the culture that we live in. And there's a challenge to us, just like there's a challenge to Moses here. What is our identity? How do we define ourselves? Where do we find our security and what do we trust? Where do we find our significance, our value, and our worth? For him, was it in his Egyptian upbringing? For us, is it in the influences of our culture that we live in? Or is there an identity that we find only in knowing God, only as he created us, only as he defined us? And this is the challenge that Moses is facing in this season of his life. We see that he runs to Midian. And I don't think it's an accident that the scripture tells us that he came and sat by a well. A well is often a metaphor for our soul. 
And Jesus himself says, he is living waters. And here at this well, which is the beginning of his journey of soul searching and discovering his true identity in knowing his God outside of culture and discovering his true value, his true worth, his true significance. And here at this well, this sense of justice, this destined justice that God has placed in his soul surfaces again. And we see these shepherdess running back to their home, telling their father, this Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds, not letting us draw water from the well. And the father says, well, where is he? Why did you not bring him home from you? So here again, we see this core value that God has invested in Moses of justice. He spends 40 years in the wilderness. Part of that wilderness experience for him was to do deep soul searching and discovery of true identity. But a practical part of his season in this wilderness was to equip him of how to survive in the wilderness, how to lead flocks in the wilderness because of the call that God had upon his life. In Exodus 2, 22, he bears a son and he calls his name Gershom, which means I have been on exile in a foreign land. When the time was right in his life, he finds himself going further than he's ever gone before, and he comes to the mountain of God, Horeb. And there at the mountain of God, something catches his eye, a burning bush. And just like Moses, we too have burning bush experiences in our lives where the grace of God is existing in an ordinary situation, in an ordinary circumstance, and the fire of God burns, the grace of God abounds, and Moses had a choice. And we're told here in Exodus 3, 2 and 3, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked. Did you catch that? He looked. When God is bringing his grace and his manifest presence in our lives, do we look? It goes on to say, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight. He turned aside. I believe there's a word here today. When God's grace is manifesting, 
When there is a burning bush, are you too busy, too occupied to see and look and turn aside? This isn't even always something tangible that you can see. Sometimes it's something going on within us. We see this in Luke 24, 32. When the disciples were walking on the Emmaus Road and Jesus joined them. And when he left, they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while we, he talked to us on the road? While he opened up the scriptures to us? How many of us have opportunities in our lives where God is manifesting himself and it's a burning in our hearts? And the question is, do we stop? Do we look? Do we turn aside? Or do we just keep moving forward? Pastor Dan, I'm sure you can relate to this even in a Sunday morning service. I know times after worship, when I come up to transition to the next part of the service, sometimes there's a burning bush. Sometimes God is manifesting himself, and I have to make the choice. Am I going to look? Am I going to turn aside? And am I going to listen for the voice of the Lord and maybe change the direction of the service? This happens in our individual lives. We may be meeting with someone. We may be praying for someone. We're having an interaction. And suddenly there's awareness that there's this manifest presence of God. And I always remember a message that Pastor Desmond Evans gave, which was, are you going to look beyond the obvious? Are you going to look beyond the ordinary? Are you going to look beyond the obstacles and see where God is at work? And are you going to join him in it? And I feel that there's a word here today that God is at work. And there is burning that's going on. And not to be so preoccupied that you do not stop, turn aside, and take off your shoes because you're standing on holy ground. He has a word for you. In Exodus 3, verse 4, it says, When the Lord saw that he had turned aside, God called to him out of the bush. There seems to be a direct correlation between us stopping and turning aside and hearing the call of God. Do you hear me, church? There is a direct correlation between turning aside and receiving the call of God. Moses was ready. And God said to him in Exodus 3.10, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now here again, this justice value that God put in Moses was put there by God for this call, for this destiny. But first, he had to know who he was in God. 
He had to know who he was in God's grace before he could go and fulfill the calling in his life. Now remember, Stephen had said he was great in speech and deed in Acts 7.22. But here, the Moses, who now had surrendered to his identity in God, says, how can I go, Lord? The humility that we see in this man. I am humble of speech. How can I go and do this? deliverance. And he had learned the lesson that the call on his life was not to be done in his own strength, but it was to be done in surrender to the call of God, and that it would be done in the strength and the provision of the resources of Almighty God. So Moses is obedient, and he goes. And there is a book that I read by Ruth Haley Barton that really ministered to me. And she talks about the crucible of leadership. And she talks about stages that we go through in cycles in our lives. And I find it interesting that in Numbers 33, 1 to 2, we read, these are the stages of the people of Israel. When they went out of the land of Egypt, Moses wrote down their starting places stage by stage. Again, in Exodus 17.1, from the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages as the Lord commanded. So I want to just talk to you about these stages. At the same time that God was doing a work in Moses, he was also doing a work in the children of Israel. And the first stage is pre-awareness. Not aware that we're in bondage. You see this in the life of an unbeliever. My daughter had a science fair partner that they were going to the International Science Fair in Microbiology. And she would share her life with this science partner. And the science partner would say, why do I need God in my life? I'm happy with my life just the way that it is. Pre-awareness, unaware of the bondages, unaware of our identity. It's different ways that we discover this pre-awareness is being shaken a little bit. We may just have an inkling that something's not quite right. Questions begin to bubble up and we begin to question the status quo of where we're at or the ministry that we're in, or what's going on in our lives. And then comes the second stage, awareness. Something happens that heightens our awareness. Our heart begins to long for more. We're, 
We begin to come open to the possibility of change. For the Israelites, with the new Pharaoh, there was oppression, a greater oppression by the Pharaoh and by the taskmasters. And this greater oppression is what awakened them to this stage of awareness that I can't stay where I'm at. There's something more. I need to be free from this bondage in my life. It can happen in a very simple way. I know for me, since I'm here for the school, I look back and I see how I love being a teacher. I love my first year of teaching. And out of the blue, they asked me to be a head teacher my first year. I'm like, why would they invite me to be a head teacher? And it's my first year at the school here. And then the next year, they asked me to head up a curriculum committee for the district. So I learned about curriculum. And then I was asked to be on the North Central Accreditation Commission representing the state. And I'm like, I'm only a second year teacher. Why would I be asked to go do this? And I felt very inadequate. I didn't like being in hotel rooms with strangers coming in to share the room with me as we served on the accreditation team together. And I would say, why am I doing this, God? I don't really like this. And then we ended up moving to Texas and my husband, Dwayne, became a youth pastor here at Bethesda Community Church. And I went to try and get my teacher's license in the state of Texas, and lo and behold, I was a British citizen and a Canadian citizen, but not an American citizen. And I discovered that I could not teach in this great state of Texas because I was not an American citizen. An awareness a pressure, an opposition in my life. Well, at Bethesda, they had had a kindergarten class, and they had students interested in starting a first grade, and so I was invited to be the first grade teacher here. But I was in a dilemma because I didn't even believe in Christian education. I had seen too many children in Christian education who they had a wonderful experience studying the Bible, but there was no academic excellence going on. They weren't learning to think critically. And so I thought, God, why are you planning me here? I had to seek his face and have him give me vision what I believed his heart would be for Christian education, of how education as a mountain of influence could represent God and really make an impact in the lives of our children. Awareness, looking back now, seeing on the journey how all the dots are connecting together for a call that God has on your life. The third stage, turning point. The Israelites began to let themselves dream of the freedom 
that it would be to be free from their slavery, free from their bondage, and listening to the words of Moses and Aaron, beginning to hope that maybe this freedom was a possibility. But in Exodus 6, 9, it says, they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and the harsh slavery. And in Exodus 6.12, we see Moses saying to the Lord, Behold, the children of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? And here we see Moses. Remember the great speaker now beginning to question his ability? And he has to learn that the only way you're going to fulfill your calling is total dependence on me. Because then you're not limited to your own resources, but you have the resources of the King of Kings, who is all-knowing, all-wisdom, all-powerful, who is leading and guiding us in our lives. Now, we see Moses' journey here. He knows he has a call, but there's complaining going on around him. There's murmuring going on around him. There's resistance going on around him. How many of you have been fulfilling the call on your life and suddenly the fire turns up and there's resistance? And here we see that when you have a call on your life, you have to walk it out. And it's a journey. And God is continuing to build character in you on this journey. And so Moses has to learn, how do I fulfill my call in the midst of murmuring, in the midst of complaining, in the midst of resistance, in the midst of rebellion? How, God, am I going to fulfill this call? And we come into stage four, the roundabout way. Once the Pharaoh let the children of Israel go and they begin their journey, there's this season where they're given rest and they're given the opportunity to experience their freedom, to flourish, in their travel. Can you imagine the celebration that they've been set free? And not only set free, but given all the riches of the Egyptians to take with them. In Exodus 13, 17 to 18, we read, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. He gives us a season as the calling is being outworked that we rest in him. We see fruit. We see growth. We see physical evidence that God is at work. Then stage five comes. Times of testing. Challenges come. Attacks come. Accusations come again. In Exodus 14, 4, we're told, 
and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians shall know I am the Lord. And they did so. This time of testing that Moses and the children of Israel were facing was a time where God was at work manifesting himself to the Egyptians. But not only that, he was also at work manifesting himself to his children, the nation of Israel. Exodus 14, 31, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord. And they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. The sixth stage, learning to keep still. Now, remember the Moses that when he first went back to Egypt and the people were grumbling and complaining, he turned to God and said, see, they won't listen. He had rabbit ears. Some of you have heard messages on rabbit ears where you listen to what's being said around you and it's testing you to turn away from the call, to turn away from what God has placed in you to fulfill a destiny. Can you imagine how magnified this is? They are up against the Red Sea. They see the armies of Pharaoh coming against them. Can you imagine the volatile emotions that are going on and what Moses is up against? Not too long ago, some of you may have read about this, I woke up in Hawaii in the morning with my phone emergency siren going off. And I'm like, oh, I wonder what's going on. Is there a tsunami? I didn't feel an earthquake. What's going on? And I look, and it says, ballistic missile incoming. This is not a warning. Take immediate cover. <laughs> what do you do when you wake up to that in the morning? And so I immediately head downstairs, and my daughter, Elena, calls to me from her bedroom, Mom? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm going down to talk to your dad. My other son and his wife live in a cottage next to us. They come in the house, and we're all sitting there Googling, what do you do when a ballistic <laughs> missile is approaching? Now... It wasn't as traumatic for us because we were home and we were with family and we were together. And to be honest, we all said, well, we're ready to go. <laughs> but the stories I heard afterwards is what makes me think about what Moses was experiencing. Mothers stuffing their children into manholes. Stores commanding on the intercom that everyone immediately exit the store. The worst thing, Walmart put out an apology for that happening in their store. Can you imagine a ballistic missile's coming and you're being forced to stampede out of the store? 
I hear stories of people in our church. One beautiful family with two children are sitting in their bathroom holding the hands and she's on the phone to her mother saying goodbye. It was very traumatic. And for 20 minutes, which may not seem that long when you're having a grand time, but 20 minutes of the unknown, is this the end? Is this it? Was very emotional for a lot of people. And then 20 minutes later, we get the text. A mistake has been made. Moses is up against an incredible emotional stampede with the people. And yet now we see him turning inward. All that he had learned in the wilderness of Midian, all that he had learned about his dependency on the Lord, he turns inward to that place in his soul where he had learned to encounter God with the midst of confusion around him, with the midst of accusation coming against him, he goes to that place within and he talks with God. And he says to the people, fear not, in Exodus 14, 13, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. Do you see the growth in his life. Not only now does he have the call, not only does he recognize that he is the deliverer, but submitted to God Almighty, but also we see his greatest achievement, that he has learned to hear the voice of the Lord that keeps him true north, in the call and the destiny on his life. I don't know about you, but that's what I want in my life. I want my greatest achievement to be that I can meet with God face to face, no matter what's going on in my life. Not turn to the left, not turn to the right, but stay on the course that God has created me for, using the gifts and the values that he's invested me for this calling, for this destiny, and worship him with my life. We come to the seventh stage, training and waiting. There's a man, Richard Rohr, who talks about liminal space. The word liminal means threshold. Now, I always call it a place of dissonance. It's a season in life that everything that we know is no longer enough to see us into the next step. This is this liminal space that he's talking about. And all we can do is hold on to who we know God is. We can trust in him. We stand firm in him. 
And yet there has to be a breakthrough, either of new revelation, or as in this case, a breakthrough of the supernatural taking place so the kingdom can come and the will of God be done. And both of those are still happening today in time and in space. I want to be able to have training in waiting where I am willing to stand firm, to be still, to stand on what I'm fully persuaded in, as Paul says, but know that I need some kind of breakthrough. I need this liminal threshold to be broken so that I can enter into the next season of calling. Can we pray? Lord Jesus, We want to know you face to face. We want to become more intimately acquainted with you. We want our identity to be from your grace and to be free from the cultural influences that are in our lives. We want to recognize our burning heart. We want to recognize the burning bushes that you place in our lives and be able to turn aside and hear your call. Open our eyes, Lord Jesus. Open our eyes, Lord Jesus, so we can see and turn and look and hear the call that you have for our season of life that we're in. And I pray that whatever season each person in this room is in, whether it's where you have a finger on an area of bondage in their life that they're not even aware that is in existence, say yes to him. If it's that you have an awareness open to the pressure that he's putting in your life. As Paul says in Romans, that the lipsis, that pressure that's pressing in on us is to give us the perseverance that we're going to need for the character that's going to be developed in us so that we can move forward in our calling and whether, Father God, it's that you're teaching us not to be moved and have rabbit ears to the voices that are around us, the murmuring, the complaining, the perspectives that might be different. Help us to stay true north. Help us to stay focused on you. Help us, like Moses, to know that place, to be still and hear your voice. And give us the faith to know that you have a breakthrough for us that's going to happen supernaturally because we are joining you in your work and our lives will become a living act of worship for you. I ask this for everyone in this room, in Jesus' name, amen.